by Lancaster. Only under Henry VII did the Red Rose become the Lancastrian badge, retrospectively, to facilitate the pretty conceit of the Tudor Rose, part red, part white, symbolising the merciful union between the two dynasties which had brought peace to a distracted land. Nor do we know when the term came into fashion. David Hume is sometimes said to have been the first to use it in his History of England, 1762, though his actual words are, The Quarrel Between the Two Roses. It has also been suggested that Sir Walter Scott coined it in his novel Anne of Gierstein, 1829, but in fact he refers to The Wars of the White and Red Roses. Nevertheless, Although the term would not be immediately recognisable to men and women who lived through the wars, the idea behind it must have been familiar enough to them. The late Professor Charles Ross quoted a line of verse in the Croyland Chronicle, written in 1486, and referring to Richard III's murder of the princes in the tower, and to avenge the white, the red rose bloomed. As Ross commented, only pedants could reject a name that has been in use for centuries. Not only have there been many studies of the wars, but they have inspired a flood of romantic novels. Most of the novelists subscribe to the strange cult of King Richard's innocence, which has mushroomed during recent years. The Richard III Society numbers thousands and even has Japanese members. Yet his short reign is only one episode towards the close of a very long story. The Wars of the Roses lasted from the First Battle of St. Albans in 1455 to the Battle of Stoke in 1487, and were fought to decide which branch of the English royal family should reign, Lancaster or York. Descended from a Count of Anjou who had married William the Conqueror's granddaughter, and taking their name from the Plantagenet, or Sprig of Broom he wore in his helmet, The Plantagenets had ruled England since 1154. The dispute between the family's two branches stemmed from Henry IV's usurpation of the throne at the end of the 14th century, when he deposed and murdered Richard II to become the first Lancastrian sovereign. He was the son of John of Gaunt, Duke of Lancaster, who had been the third son of the great Edward III. For a long time, Henry's Lancastrian dynasty seemed firmly established. His son, Henry V, ruled England from 1413 to 1422, and, as we know, led further spectacularly successful invasions of France. When he died young, his one-year-old son, another Henry, became king with general acceptance. Although a cousin, Richard, Duke of York, born in 1411, possessed a claim to the throne which was arguably superior, he descended from Edward III's fourth son in the male line, but from his second son in the female line, no one challenged the Lancastrian succession. The wars would never have broken out had it not been for Henry VI, who reached his majority in 1436 at the age of fifteen. Even his appearance failed to inspire respect. The only surviving portraits show a pitifully weak and worried face, while he was notorious for his drab clothes and clumsy shoes. As for his character, Pope Pius II described him as a man more timorous than a woman, utterly devoid of wit or spirit.
The son of a hero of Agincourt was the only monarch since the Norman conquest to be incapable of leading an army in battle. He was easily dominated by his wife and his favourites with disastrous consequences. Moreover, in his early thirties he began to suffer from fits of insanity. During Henry's minority, England had been governed by a council with considerable efficiency. The council had included the king's uncle, Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester, and his great-uncle, Henry Beaufort, Bishop of Winchester, a bastard but legitimised son of John of Gaunt. Across the Channel, a third of all France, including Paris, was ruled by another uncle, the Duke of Bedford. For Henry was King of France as well as of England, being crowned in Paris in 1430, even if the vast majority of Frenchmen supported the Valois king. Everything changed.